Today, my guest is an architect and a researcher. Her book, Habitat, Vernacular Architecture for a Changing Planet, is one of the most comprehensive books on the subject. Don't forget to comment and like when you finish with the podcast, because we are going to give away one copy of her book. Ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Sandra Pish. Dr. Sandra Pish, how are you? I'm very well indeed. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. I was just mentioned to you earlier that I came about, uh, I saw your book, well, maybe a few months ago, and I was like, wow, this is well put together. <laughs> I really liked it. And I was like, I, was, I wonder if I can reach out to Dr. Pish and see if she would be interested to talk to me. So well, I am excited. Well, I'm excited. What did you like about Habitat, if I may ask? What did strike you most then? Oh, it's a great book. It's so large. It's such a big book, but everything, the content, all the information inside, I really enjoy it. Thank you very much. We really treasure that, yes. Tell me about it. How did the book came about? Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a really interesting story, in a way, unpredictable story. I, the book came about because I've written another book before. And it was called Arish Palm Leaf Architecture. It was a story about date palm leaf use uh, in architecture and design in the Middle East, in United Arab Emirates. And I was giving a talk at the Royal Geographical Society in London uh, about it. And the same publisher, uh, Tamsin Hassan, uh, Lucas Dietrich, uh, approached me uh, after the talk and said, would, would you mind to do the entire world and the entire planet? And I said, yes, I can do that. Um, but because I spent some time in the Middle East, around seven years, uh, as you know, hot climate, hot desert climate with extreme temperatures, mm -hmm. and I come from Europe. So I said, look, we can do entire world, providing that we will divide the planet into climate zones of the world. Because by then I knew that the design characteristics and the materials and cultures are definitely connected with climate. Simply on a desert, you do something different that you would do in a temperate or continental climate and, or a polar climate. So they, they have agreed. And we, it took us five years. We've departed into this journey of finding contributors. I found 143 contributors from 51 countries. And I feel in one hand it's a complete miracle because I was based in London. And, and somehow all these people responded to deliverables. We signed contracts with all of them. So it was a massive undertaking, but I think in the end it was worth it. So in a way, I feel that there is an element of authenticity in Habitat that is contributed by people that actually have been on the ground. They've seen particular areas and it, it was a critical to do it, mainly because uh, actually, there are three, there are three, three conclusions once you connect the stories, because it was a little bit of experiment in the sense that the contributors didn't know about each other or what the other is writing. They were given the same brief, but we, I didn't tell them what the other one is doing, though they were trying to know. And once we pull all these stories together, it emerged that there were three aspects that they were all talking about, whether they were in Scandinavia, Alaska or somewhere in Fiji. And, and there were climate, of course, uncontrolled urbanization, but also westernization and globalization. That, that, that last one was a very big factor in disappearance of traditional knowledge systems, so in a way, or, or countries. So in a way, I think that uh, uh, globalization is a great thing, as the earlier conversation we had about selling and exchange of goods. But there is a disappearance of, of, of traditional knowledge systems and it's not that I feel we should hold on to them I feel we should adapt them 
to modern me, to modern use, uh, and and this adaptation is not happening as yet. But people are more and more aware of that. Yeah. Have you always been interested in the subject? I I, um, I, I have to go back because you know, in a way, vernacular architecture in in European context is not that massive. It doesn't have that much meaning. But I went to Dubai initially to build skyscrapers. It was before the economic uh, boom crisis. So 2008, I think, was the economic crash. And I went to around 2004, and we were building skyscrapers on a desert. <laughs> and my, I, I, I mean, there were a few things. A, I was curious, what did the Arab people build before we arrived? What, what was there before? What, what, how did people survive in this heat? And um, so I, I, I did, over time, obviously discover their own ways of building, which was obviously, apart from being culturally specific, uh, appropriate to, to the culture of the land, it was environmentally brilliant. There were passive, sustainable solutions. And that, that what caught me, that I felt that there's got to be a solution for, for, for built environment that might merge all these factors together. Yeah. So I got interested by initial research on the ground and obviously then the habitat completely revo- revolutionized and opened my eyes on, on many other c- uh, countries and climates. Now I'm curious about this. Is vernacular architecture something that you learn in school? So it's a brilliant point you mentioned. They don't teach it in schools. The education is, I mean, I trained in London and I really feel they're one of the best schools in the world. But really, frankly speaking, we learn cl- about classical architecture, which is Greece and Rome. And we learn about modernism, which is uh, Mies van der Rohe and the contemporary architecture. And I think in a globalized world, uh, we've got to change uh, the perspective on education and teaching, whether it's architecture or some other subjects, because, uh, you know, democratizations of media and, and, uh, and social media means that people learn about world from, from various sources. And we ourselves need to have a general awareness, I think what's happening. It's not a specialized knowledge, it's just a general knowledge, I think. Tell me a little bit more about your upbringing. Yes, I'm, I'm actually Polish. So um, uh, I come from a, a coastal area of Poland. And I was initially trained in a school with German Bauhaus traditions. So there was a movement before Second World War in Europe, in Germany called Bauhaus. And I'm sure maybe you know, you, you know, you know about it, where they embraced the design of chairs, product with architecture. So the, the, the entire scale of a chair, product, interior and architecture was a one package in even costume designs and theatre. So um, in a way, traditional cultures work very similarly, that you don't have a separation between design, whether it's a building or, uh, or a, a bed or a chair. So this holistic package. And I feel it formed me tremendously. Um, and, and I had to, I also studied fine art, so I had to draw and paint. Uh, so it was probably all round kind of training, quite well, I would say. And I then study architecture once again, a whole five years here in the UK. So uh, I think uh, probably a, sl- a small academic overload, and, but I did obviously work as well. So uh, I think all of that was a good introduction to, to the professional life and the career. Yeah. So you were in Dubai and you started working this book, but you're still practicing, right? Or are you more focused on writing these days? I'm trying, yes, obviously Habitat took a lot uh, uh, of my energy, but I'm going back to materials and materiality. The, the, uh, the stories that I have, when it happened, I mean, I, when I was working out over weekends, I did travel and try to discover the land. 
and and there was obvious that the 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 Pawnee story was predominantly in the heritage villages, and um, it was a museum. So there was a whole story how cultures and people interact with their history, with the past, whether exactly whether it's in a museum, uh, somewhere in a sheltered area, or whether you take that as a live uh, force for creativity today. And I think at the time, uh, that was the story in 2004, but I have to tell you, a few years on now today, even not long ago, I still re- keep receiving emails from local uh, Emirati designers that is a generation now. These are the people that just left university and they're engaging with their history in a new way. So this transition of adaptation happened probably within the last 10 years or so, which is great, which is fantastic. After so many years traveling the world, what are the regions that are really pushing the boundaries and continue to apply vernacular architecture? Uh, what I mean is traditional techniques, which is sort of developed in evolutionary way, if you know, through generations. Uh, I would say um, um, Southeast Asia, Africa and Latin America sort of south of the equator. Um, the reason why I feel um, that's the case is because obviously there are countries in transition, but there are also some developmental issues. And I would like to see um, adaptation of traditional technologies as a vehicle to provide jobs, uh, as a vehicle for sustainable development, uh, as a vehicle to combat climate change, and at the same time retain the national identity. So uh, there is a lot of, um, I, I think, social agenda that I would like to further explore and, and believe that that's, there is an opportunity in it. Do you think there's enough support to continue those efforts? I got myself involved with a climate change network with United Nations organizations as well. And truly, uh, I feel that there is nothing better right now that the international community has apart from sustainable development goals and the Paris Agreement or other uh, adaptation frameworks that exist. And under some of these agreements, there are financial mechanisms, there are technological mechanisms. All of this is happening bottom up, so the country has to provide a request. But um, uh, there are many, many frameworks where people can ask for help, join in uh, some existing international uh, initiatives. And all of this is happening right now, which I think is absolutely exciting and fantastic. That's one thing. But sometimes what happens is that developed country will ask someone like yourself or ask a base in Europe to provide them with solutions. And and not always we come up with with something that probably works for all of them, for all of us. You know what I mean? That that so so it's a two way sort of avenue. On is a bottom up on the other hand, if, if we are the input givers, I feel we probably could be a bit more aware if we can. And if it's appropriate obviously because you know, every project is specific. Yeah. What do you think about the new generation of uh, young professionals who are leaving school and starting to get involved in the workforce? Do you believe that books like yours and many others are paving the way so they can start applying and be more conscious about the work and the environment during the process as well? I mean, is it, I think this is a, um, probably generation in transition because they are they could be perhaps i know no longer they are really influenced with the great still uh, work uh, uh, of uh, uh, of 80s probably uh, this is this time is gone mm. and is a generation of people that is quite aware of about sustainability i think we have a conceptual problem on one hand you cannot always design this on a computer 
Uh, with palms, it took me six years to build things physically and see how they behave and they work. So there was a one limitation of, of uh, a technology and the computer when it comes to these traditional node systems. That's just, just one aspect of it. Mm-hmm. And the other one is conception of sustainability. And I think we're becoming a kind of a slave to calculations, data, mathematics, diagrams. Now, all of this is super important. All of this is science. But this is not really um, a, a, a holistic concept of sustainability where you can actually also need to understand the people, right? To understand the land, the people, the culture, the language. There are other aspects uh, of sustainability that counts for, for this to be really embraced by the people on the ground, if, if that's the aim of the project. So I, hopefully, I hope that over time, we will, uh, apart from embracing what comes from a particular land, we will also find a way of, of embracing some other aspects of sustainability beyond calculations. Yeah. So I live in Houston, and as, as you probably know, we suffer major issues with flooding during the storms, and nothing has much improved. Overpopulation will continue to happen all over the world. In your opinion, what should we do not to only to sustain, but also to improve the quality of life that we currently have? So uh, you, you spot on, brilliant uh, issue and topic you've mentioned right now and actually I did look at map where is Houston you are next to New Orleans and which we covered as well uh, with Hurricane Katrina inhabited look uh, climate change is existential threat to humanity and that's a point and it's confirmed I believe in it and you see it physically I, I see desertification this is going to be there is going to be more of this so what you could see right now is an emergence of people waving the flag, for example, from the Club of Rome here in Europe, saying, look, we have to change the developmental model. Whatever we have is not working. And part of it does affect the way how we how cities grow. And because it's so much uncontrolled, we will need to... There is a need to rethink, particularly in urban but peri-urban areas, how the city grow itself, what, what needs to happen. Now, there are a few issues. Uh, I think America and New York in particular, there is some amazing work has been done on adaptation of cities, adaptation of, of planning. But when you look at the vernacular, obviously, the cities with flats have houses and stilts. So cities where you have earthquakes, uh, case studies from uh, Colombia uh, in, in Latin America, they are built from very light timber frames so the building moves with the with the earth right so i feel that we will need to so these vernacular stories very simple ways of adapting something they will help for those that that would like to finally find out if we could be we might be forced to find out uh, how to build differently yeah, completely so so the model of growth as you rightly said is wrong right now and creates even more catastrophe so we will have to rethink. And I also think, you know, that the planet is one ecosystem. I mean, we've seen lots of lectures. I think Mr. Algo has been brilliant with his talk and so do Leonardo DiCaprio. They're all telling convincing stories. But, it, you know, whatever happens in one part of the planet effectively affects some other part of the planet. And then the, these weather events amplify. So we are all connected, I think, on one hand, yeah. That's why it matters what we do locally, you know, whether we recycle or not. So I do my bit, probably you do, and, and I think it matters. Don't you think it's a little bit of an uphill battle? Because if you were to build a house applying vernacular techniques 
and you present your plan to the city hall, you probably will not be called, and the city will deny and claim that it is unsafe. Yes, but you know the the, the um, I think, but there is a great story of adaptation and planning code, particularly in America. I think having some contributors, habitat contributors, work in New York post Hurricane Sandy, and I've seen during your climate weeks, uh, people from New York planning department, for example, uh, talking about what they do in the city to change the planning law, change the regulations. I feel with vernacular, it will have to be adapted framework. It won't be the same. People, we, we you know, it won't go back to this, you know, historical aesthetics. People will perhaps use something, but it will got to be in a modern way for, for the new generation to take it on. But I feel there are many good case studies, as you said, action locally, be positive. Uh, connect and do what you can within your realm. That that's the story. Yeah, I think there are many difficulties besides the cost, time frame. So unless you are very passionate about the project, this is a very challenging thing to do. But I think you know, on one hand, obviously it has been done in Europe, in Germany, or the Netherlands, or Finland, or somewhere. So on one hand, tick off box that someone has done this before somewhere. But then on the other hand. It's a catch-22 situation. If if we as humanity in general won't go into that direction, you will have more floods and more hurricanes. So you've got eventually we've got to do it somehow. So okay, so who is doing it right? Who are the firms that are champion vernacular architecture? Um, all contemporary vernacular uh, examples um, in in habitat. I mean, I will because I don't want to be biased, but I think whatever we've suggested uh, and the, whoever engaged with contemporary aspects of, of uh, materials and populations and people is worth. Yeah, but give me, give me some names. I like the work of um, Anna Hellinger. Um, I like the work of Toro Nagira architects, forgive me, they are from Vietnam. They built a huge work uh, of Bamboo Dome. Um, and there are some examples of African architect called Francis Kerre. Uh, but there are some also examples from uh, um, England or from Ireland. Uh, so, uh, you know, things are happening. But also, you know, some of the work, I don't know whether I should quote it, but for example, um, I think, um, uh, what's the name of Angelina Jolie's husband, former husband? Uh, Brad Pitt? Yeah, yeah. You know, he got involved with Catherine, Hurricane Katrina, right? And he built some some of these very kind of colorful, small uh, houses uh, uh, um, in New Orleans. And, and I think this kind of intervention, that's also type of contemporary vernacular. So I think anything that you try to engage, find solution, engage with local people uh, and try to find solutions is, is worth connecting to, yeah? Because they are real examples, yeah? No, absolutely. Are you, are you optimistic about the future? Partially, 50-50, you know, um, because, I, because it actually goes back to what you said, that we are reactive, not proactive. And um, on one hand, the, the nature has a capacity to uh, regenerate itself, but, but climate change is a real issue. And I don't know whether as a society we, we're going into some sort of transition of social unrest. And I feel that there needs to be probably more people like you with this positive artwork saying, well, let's work together, let's connect, because that, that is needed yeah, in today's world. So I'm 50-50, yeah. 
Yeah, I, I'm just the one. I usually just I don't see the harm in just bringing the subject up and just have an honest conversation. You know, I think yeah. people have different point of views, different ideas. Uh, but at the end of the day, I think we all want the best quality of life possible for us and for our family. Absolutely. For, so what's what's next for you now? I mean, the, the book was a success. I think it was a BBC Design book of 2017. So congratulations on that. Now, I think I will do both. Uh, I'll continue and I move on. Um, the, the, um, I went recently to Rome to Venice, and I was also in the Venice Biennale, and I went back to Colosseum. And, um, you know, I touched the brick and mortar of Roman Empire building. And it really meant a lot to me because I feel that uh, somewhere uh, deep down I'm an architect and I'm a creative person, and I, and I still would like to translate... Um, uh, these experiences and knowledge that I have right now into something tangible. Uh, so I would, I would definitely would like to work on a on on a project where uh, we engage community, we engage people, but also material materiality. Whether it's a chair, whether it's a something small or something bigger. I also work on cities with you and habitat on urban rural resilience. And we're looking how you can connect uh, rural areas with cities. Mm -hmm. And the final one, which is really lovely, uh, I got I qualified recently for a workshop with the European Space Agency, and they are looking at at, at, at it's so amazing. I'm going beginning of ju July, and they're looking at moon explorations and and what do you build on moon on the moon, and um, they've asked me to give a summary of of uh, terrestrial ecosystems of deserts, of, of deserts, desert climate on the earth, but also polar climate. What can we learn from vernacular? And I think that would be, that's probably the coolest way of applying vernacular architecture right now uh, in moon explorations. And, and I really look forward to this, uh, to this adventure, yeah. That's very interesting because if you talk to a lot of environments, they probably would prefer to allocate their money towards to environment causes. And here you are. Like exploring ideas and options, how we can populate the moon. Yeah, and and so exactly. So we see lessons learned. So do we do we do we you know like I was thinking apart from techno te technical issues, um, there was a still issue of throwaway culture because I was reading another day on the BBC that some of the satellites create pollutions in space, uh, and there is also issue of social interaction. So I feel that. Even if we go outside, we are already going outside the planet Earth uh, in terms of explorations. But it would be great not to repeat the same mistakes <laughs> that we've made here. You know what I mean? I, we hope we keep evolving, right? Yes. Smarter people than we currently are. Yes, yes, I hope. Yes. Dr. Pish, thank you so much for taking the time. There's a lot of good information here. So now tell everybody how they can find out more about you and your book www.freeideasme.com uh, I'm also on Twitter at uh, Sandra Pishik and um, info at freeideasme.com so uh, I look forward to recollecting and, and thank you very much for having me it was absolute pleasure and the pleasure is mine ladies and gentlemen Dr. Sandra Pish Hey everyone, make sure to like, comment, and let us know what you think. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. <laughs>